Welcome back in listeners to another exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have an incredible show to bring you today. Um, I read about this show while putting together our spring calendar. And when it came across our board to be able to bring them here, I just, I knew we had to because this is an incredible story. We have the playwright, Mindy Pfeffer, and the director, Gene Randich, from How to Live, which is playing January 25th through the 29th at the 14th Street Y. This show, I I can't get over how incredible the story is. Mindy, Gene, welcome <laughs> to Whisper Thank in the Wings. It is such an honor to have you both here and to be talking about this show because the synopsis alone, I mean, it, it hooks you. It's such a powerful premise. So I'm so grateful to have you here with us. And why don't we move away from vagueness and start with you, Mindy. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this show, How to Live. Well, the show came about from a, a, a series of seemingly random synchronistic events. I work as a teaching artist using puppets in theater. In 2014, I was invited through a series of weird, random, synchronistic events to teach and perform in Poland with my work partner. And we went and after we were done working, we were visiting the old Jewish cemetery in Krakow. And I saw the grave of someone that said Maria Pfeffer Orvid. And Pfeffer's my last name. And I was instantly intrigued. I looked up her story and found an amazing, an amazing um, story. Uh, and I, I knew right away I had to write a play about it. She was a child. When she was 11, she saw her father being beaten by Germans in the town square where they lived. And then her father became silent for a year. He stopped speaking. He read Shakespeare. A, and she grew up to become a very well-known psychiatrist in Poland. Originally, I thought I was going to write a play that had lots of shadow puppets and Shakespeare and people being all dramatic. But I didn't I didn't start working on the play until 2020, actually during the pandemic. And something else happened. It, it became a different story about trauma and healing and memory, family. And I was then a, I'm still, I'm telling, yeah, so I'm telling the story as well as the genesis of the story. And then I was a fellow at the 14th Street Wide Laba House of Study program. I wrote half the play through another series of wild synchronistic events. I was referred to Gene to direct. And we did 30 minutes about of the story. I didn't have the second half of the play written, but the Y invited me to do a production of it this year. Then I went to Poland this past July, 2022, did some research, found out, I sort of knew this, but not specifics. I found out there were doctors who worked at Auschwitz, Jewish doctors. Uh, they were part of the Sonder Commandos, the sort of the group of Jews that were required to work, but they also got to live because of that. So I made up, the, the end of the play is Maria treating someone who was a Sonder Commando. That's made up. The first part is is true. And also the other thing is I have I have Holocaust survivors in my family and I've always wanted to write something about it, but never knew quite what. And I didn't know that I wanted to write the story of my own family. So this is what came to be. And it's not what I like about the way it ended up coming about was it's not a play about the Holocaust. The Holocaust features in it, but it's much more about family, humans, healing 
and um, what you do when you're faced with in incredible circumstances. Wow. What has it been like? And I'll start again with you, Mindy, on this, developing this show. It's been a, this may sound a little trite, it's been a fascinating journey. I, as a writer, Jean will concur, I'm not a very naturalistic, ordinary kitchen sink writer. So I wrote lots of different things. And I, well, what happened was I started writing and I just was writing all different, before I met Jean even, I was writing all different kinds of scenes with the family, with Germans, early doctor, early main character, older main character, having no idea how they would all fit together. I was part of a couple different writing groups. This was all during the pandemic, so they were all online. And I started piecing them together, kind of almost like a big puzzle. And they seemed to work. And then we, when we did this reading, which was September 2021, we had a 30-minute finished kind of piece what was then really interesting was then expanding it because the piece as is worked, but I wanted more of the play and we didn't really know what happened to the main character. So working with Gene over the months and working with some other playwrights in different groups, I started opening up the world and finding out what happened next. And Gene and I had lots of conversations about the script once it became bigger and longer. It was very helpful to have another person looking at it since it's not A equals B, A, B, C, D, E. It goes lots of different places. And you can't see me. Obviously, those of you hearing me, I'm moving my hands around like a puzzle or waves <laughs> or things. <laughs> well, Gene, I want to bring you now into the conversation kind of with the same question. Once the play kind of got in your hands as the director, what's it been like developing the show? Okay, so I think the storytelling aspect we tell stories to create our identities, right? Like your show, Stage Whisperer. It's a way of telling people stories and creating a community through stories. And in the Holocaust, in the situation in Germany, the family that we're dealing with, we're hearing horrifying stories, like being kicked in the street is a way that somebody tells you a story about yourself that you're less than a dog, right? And this happened to, this really happened to a man of culture, high learning, a lawyer, and that experience shocked him into a year of silence that where he went to Shakespeare, where in Shakespeare, powerful emotions are given words, but he had to withdraw from his family. That particular silence that not only, as you said, not only he was silenced, but the daughter was also silenced and the mother was silenced. And it became a secret that none of them talked about is it's like this ticking bomb that eventually is going to go off in the shrink's life because she has forgotten what she knew. She has forgotten that she's been silenced. I hope that's not too much of a Spoiler. <laughs> no, I don't think. But, yeah. So what's fascinating, I think, about the script and the way Mindy just said that she wrote it in bursts of a particular story would appear to her and she would write it. The thing itself is a montage. It didn't come up to Mindy as a fluid, you know, Aristotelian story, beginning, middle, end. There are lots there are ruptures, there are fragments, and in that way, the experience of the play itself for an audience 
is similar to somebody trying to remember something that they've been through, but, you know, through terror, through trauma, there's arrested, there's just arrested development. And what I think is really great about that with Mindy Parent, it, it naturally happened that this woman, Maria Pfeffer Orvid, became a psychiatrist. And the whole idea of that is to help people understand what their untold stories are. Or if they have a negative story in their head, point it out to them so that you can change your story. Because if you can change your story, you can change your life. And to me, that is how to live is to be seriously become the author of your own story. Learn how your the story you might be telling is one that keeps you suffering. Learn how to share with someone else. Learn how to listen. All the things that happen in therapy are the same things that happen in great theater, that yeah. the audience will be able to listen to these characters, that the audience will be able to understand. For example, as Mindy was saying, if you wanted to survive in a camp and you were a doctor, you could help. You had a way to not be killed. But then you're going to live with the fact that you had a way and other people didn't. And you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. But, and But it's not just in the camp that you have to make that decision, right? In life, we just like the fact that we have our smartphones and they make, or we can Zoom now and that's great for us. But there are other people in the world who are suffering so that we can have that luxury, right? You know what I mean? The first world and the third world. And how are we ever going to get to the point where we can lift all people up and i think this mindy's play in the aspects that deal with actual history the fact that cause and effect don't disappear right you do something and it is that legacy lives on right and people will deal with everything comes up at some point and people can heal you can heal yourself you can heal other people and everyone who heals is then it's another force for good to help somebody else heal. And that the same way you watch one, like say one man be beaten and the whole family collapse, whole family system collapse. You can watch one person rise up and then another and another and another and another. And, you know, so there's um, a, there's destruction and there's recreation and destruction and recreation. And it's very, powerful i think it's cyclical and i guess the only other thing i'll say mindy if you, it's correct me if i've said anything wrong but there's also scenes memories of things that happen in the real world and there are dreams like dream memories where you're not sure is that exactly how it happened or is that how this character remembers it which we all know right memory is fluid and changeable it's not constant it's mm -hmm. always changing and so we're always dealing with, Mindy uses the word mystery. There are mysteries, there are questions that can't be answered. There are mysteries that can't be solved. And part of being healthy is accepting the challenge of living with uncertainty. So you can't always be in control, right? But you can try, you know, <laughs> you can try. And there are, are great moments in this play where either somebody fights, to not have someone talk, you know, just no, 
or somebody says, please, I need you to hear me, the exact opposites. And I can't even describe what the full effect of that will be yet, but I think it's, you know, potentially really, 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 really powerful because it happens every day in life, right? What are you allowed to talk about? What aren't you allowed to talk about? Or even, you know, in this um, podcast, what aspects of myself can I show you? What do I have to filter out, right? And so the whole play, we see people doing that, in the, even in the family, you know, it's which is great because you know they love each other, but there's like, you can't talk about this, you can't. <laughs> it's the family scenes are, it's good. There's, yeah, great. I think it's a very exciting play. And I'm really happy that Mindy brought me on board. It's a lot of fun. And I, I just have to add on, this is why theater is a collaborative art. I never would have, I mean, I I was just listening to you, Gina. I never would have said any of that about my own work. So that's, it's good to hear someone else talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And directors can, I know some writers direct their own work, but I believe firmly that you need somebody else who is who can see things that you don't see as a playwright. I want to um, bring up the question of a message in the show. And one thing that I find interesting is the father, after being beaten, retreats to silence, but also retreats into Shakespeare, which I find the the beauty, the poetic thing about this, about this, uh, I, I'm a, you know, this truth, Mindy, I'm going to start with you again, is he gives up his language, but throws himself into some of the most beautiful language that mankind has ever, you know, had. And I think that's so poetic, you know. To well, yeah. And the thing that is amazing, that is what happened. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a true story. And one thing that was interesting that both you and Jean have said about the Shakespearean language. At one point I wrote a scene that's not in the play now, but, where he was talking about what he found from that language and what he found about the people living in those circumstances and and how they dealt with their big emotions. And I, it's not written in the play now, but I think it's understood, hopefully, that that's the way he saved himself by, you're right, by finding other language. The other, one other thing, which is totally random that I'm going to just say is the most fascinating thing. His name, the father's name was Adolf that's not made up, you know, he's a Jewish man. And that's just kind of interesting considering the other Adolf. But yeah, the, the Shakespeare language, and I, I guess I, I can't necessarily verbalize the way you two did, but something about it really spoke to me. Also being an actor and loving Shakespeare, interesting to think about him finding, you're right, the most beautiful language in existence. And maybe, maybe in a future production of this, or if it is rewritten, but I'm not sure how much rewriting I'll do, maybe I'll do more with that because that's really interesting to me. Well, building on that, I wanted to ask, is there a message or a thought you're hoping that uh, you leave with? Message or thought? First of all, that there's always hope. No matter, I'm getting all choked up because I'm a big crier. There's always hope. I think the story of the Holocaust and when you read accounts of survivors, a lot of them lost hope, but a lot didn't. There was something that kept some of them going and I think that that combined with the idea that we have to tell stories to live. We have to look at what's in our look at where we choose to talk and where we choose not to talk, what we choose to say, what we don't choose to say, how 
things can, I'm losing my train of thought, but, but what we choose to say, what we don't choose to say, the stories we tell can really help. Now, the word heal is, I think, a little bit trite, but it's a good word, how we can really heal ourselves and how at bottom, and this may sound a little perhaps altruistic, but at bottom, connection between humans is what saves everyone. And I think given what the other thing that is important to me is that I grew up, you know, I grew up Jewish. I grew up not really observant, but I learned about the Holocaust. It seemed like it, it was just part of me growing up. And to think that people are now denying it. And as it gets further and further away, and we see just in the past, I don't know how many years, past couple decades, things politically and socially all over the world getting more and more fascist leading towards fascism i think and genocide and things we don't even hear about in this country i think it's more and more 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 urgent for us to wake up and pay attention to this and this story happened and it's happening again and hopefully we can stem the tide perhaps by telling stories and connecting well said Jean, what about you as the director what is the message or thought you're hoping audiences will leave with I hope they experience, uh, I don't know what the right word is. There are, we're projecting the scene titles. So people are going to read and this doesn't happen in chronological order. So it, it's nonlinear order. And that requires the audience to jump with the actors. So they're gonna be jumping like you would in a movie, right? When you're, when you're moving around in time and space. And I think some of that corresponds to when you go into therapy because um, you can no longer live. You just can't, right? You, something you're, what you've built to make life work doesn't work for you anymore. Then you go to therapy and therapist asks you, what do you want to work on? And then you talk about that. Everyone in this play has arrived at a point, at some point in the play, they hit a wall where what they thought was life and what works doesn't work. It's very obvious with the father, but it also happens to the mother and the daughter. And then it happens later in life to the accomplished woman that she realizes something that she hasn't known. And those moments of what you do when you hit that wall, that, that you have resilience, that you have imagination, and also that you're willing to share that with someone else instead of making the choice i've hit a wall i'm going to shut my mouth you know even though the father it worked for him because he had shakespeare even he wasn't completely alone he was in the room with shakespeare but this notion that if you can actually share your grief your trauma with someone else the act of being able to share it and have it heard and have it acknowledged that is, you know, as Mindy said, that can be an act of healing. And so for the audience in theater, the whole idea is we go and we see people on stage. We're willing to show more of what we don't show in life because, you know, we all agree to get through life. How we live is by not talking about that stuff, right? Or people can talk about it on Facebook posts, but please don't talk about it in public. <laughs> you know, there's still that you know, sort of a, a thing about mental illness that somehow it's, it's, you know, more shameful than physical illness. You know, we are willing to acknowledge, oh, physical illness, you really couldn't help but get COVID. But you know what I mean? And so I think 
it's important to see people deal with that and for an audience to deal with that. So what I'm trying to say, it isn't only, which is a huge thing, right, to talk about the horror that happened in the Holocaust and that still goes on and that is going on you know, genocides are going on all over the world and it's horrible and we're not stopping them. But it's also for everyone, all of us survivors, to realize that listening to these stories and dealing with these stories is part of how we live and how we create a world where everyone, everyone is allowed to live. You know, and I mean, you know, we have not yet, we don't have reparations for, for slavery for slavery. We haven't, we haven't agreed on that yet. There are some states that are thinking about it, but for generations, you know, wealth was stolen and we are not restoring that. Or what happened to the Native Americans <laughs> where we don't, they don't yet have representation in Congress. So even though this play is specifically about this thing that happened in Poland, the fact that Maria Pfeffer Orvid became a world famous family therapist so, you know, she can deal with individual dynamics, family dynamics, and I think also cultural dynamics. And those are things that we're asking the audience. We're trying to say, it's not a message, it's an invitation. If you could also learn from these characters, because they're trying, oh, oh, we didn't even say, we didn't even tell you. <laughs> There's this great thing that Mindy did in the play, which is older Maria is giving lectures. So there's a device that throughout the entire play she's lecturing the audience is if we in the audience want to learn to become psychotherapists. And so she's telling, teaching us about what we can expect, what will happen, what we won't know. And believe it or not, that might sound like that was the most dangerous part of the play, but when that happens, it's just, oh my God, I can relax because somebody who went through this and came out on the other side and can listen to people is teaching me how to listen. It's I would add, just jump in that that's also, now that I think about it with perspective, that's also, it's it, it on the surface, it's about her teaching psychotherapists, but I think a lot of what she says is also basically for any human being in any relationship. I like that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And. And the actor, um, Danielle Delgado, has this wonderful way of being, she can be intimate, but she can also, she gives space, mm. not, not touchy-feely, you know, not trying to manipulate at all. She gives, so there can be a distance, and that thing works really well because because her family, it tends to be much more like in, <laughs> in your face. There's a lot of good contrasts. So I guess I'm saying it's more an experience I want the audience to have, but I do want them, I would love them to go away with questions, you know, rather than a message about, wow, you know, that's, and, and respect for survivors, respect. Anybody who survives, I mean, just bow down, right? Bow down and learn. Good point. Right? Yeah, good point. Good point. Invitation rather than message and questions and invitation. I like that. Yeah. Well, my final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to the show? And Jean, how about I start with you on that one? Everyone. 
<laughs> everyone i wish we would play to full houses so i think we should have young people older people people who like mindy who ha have experienced this but i anybody interested in storytelling theater therapy anybody i think it's i think it's universal and people are interested in unconventional theater unconventional storytelling because it's more it's certainly not conventional you know there's more it's like a montage like a chagall painting come to life where things are flying through the air and you know and, and it shifts it shifts the, the actors are playing one actor is james playing four characters right and he trans uh, yes. transforms just by putting on a hat so it's it's very theatrical in that sense because yeah of that it's a Four, only four actors are doing a show that is going to give you a sense of wartime, World War II Poland, post-war Poland, and 1980s Poland. As four actors. <laughs> and it, you know, it does it, I think. So Mindy, everybody can come see it. Ditto, anyone. I don't want it. I really hope it's not seen as a Holocaust play or as a play only for Jewish people. I, I think... The invitation for people to look at how they live and, and the questions you might ask and what it means to heal, even though I think that word's again a little trite, is I think relevant for anyone. shift gears a little because on our show we do like to share our own personal experiences in the theater and I want to let our audience have a chance to get to know you two a little bit and your experience in the theater. Mindy, I'd like to start with you with this. What shows, playwrights, or composers in the past have inspired you or do you love? When I was a wee college freshman, I was completely in love. We had one teacher one year who did a lot of Grotowski exercises. I fell in love with it. Unfortunately, she only was there for my freshman year, but it it started a lifelong lifelong interest, I think, in physicality and heightened circumstances, whether they're physical or language. So I love um, I love Carol Churchill. I love Christopher Durang. I love Stephen Adley Gurgis. I love. I did, I've done a lot of work with the City Company, a lot of their training, and Bogart's Company with Viewpoints and Suzuki Actor Training, which is very physical. I love Shakespeare, and I like I like anything that's heightened somewhat, whether it's physical, language-based. doesn't have to be exceptionally like extreme, but I, I just like a slightly, maybe a slightly skewed version of reality. I guess that's a way to put it, and yeah. I love that. Some of my favorite playwrights in that group. So thank you for sharing that. Jean, what about you? It's such a hard question to answer. You know, I'm going to talk first about Ping Chong because I know Mindy has, Mindy, you've worked with Ping. Yes, it's Ping Chong, wonderful. And he is now, the night we open, he's having his official retirement yeah. from Ping Chong and company. But the reason why I'm mentioning Ping, Ping Chong in connection with Mindy's show is that he has a series that he developed called Undesirable Elements. 
and they get a group of people who tell their own stories and they actually are on stage. The people are telling their own stories. It would be as if the actual Mindy Pfeffer Orvid was, was in a piece that Mindy created by listening to her and telling her story. And when Ping started this, uh, which is over 20 years ago, I mean, maybe 30 years, I don't know. He was going to people whose voices wouldn't otherwise be heard and putting them on stage. And it has continued. And he's done this pro all over the country. And I think also in, in other countries, this, this idea that, and it's related to what Anna Devere Smith does, you know, testimonial theater, except in Anna Devere Smith, she interviews the people and then she selects verbatim a section and then she performs it. But Ping, interviewed the people and, and curated it and they performed it. And what's pretty incredible about that is suddenly you have intimate connection to people you otherwise, uh, you know, would not be able to connect with. Like when they talk about America is a melting pot, but you go, well, wait a minute, here's Koreatown, here's Chinatown, here's little Italy, here's the tendency is for people not to melt or melt after many generations. And, and Ping was saying, why does everybody have to melt? Why can't we just look at this diversity and celebrate the diversity? I just feel that he is, and I, I assisted him. I was an intern when I got an NEA grant for young emerging directors. So I worked with Ping and I was very impressed with his everything, his compassion, his, I mean, he just a huge heart and great visual, you know, great visual. So that is a New York based artist, probably very close to our theater, who's still here. And I just want to shout out Ping Chong because he's amazing. Um, ditto. I would just say ditto. Yeah. I had a wonderful time working with him. In terms of a director responding to work, I also, I worked in Europe. I was in Germany for 10 years before I went to the Yale School of Drama. And so I saw an awful lot of what we call Regie Theater, which is, you know, it's a cursed name in the United States because it means director's theater. And what it is, it's like the equivalent of auteur cinema where, where the writer and the director are the same person. And it sort of comes from the Russian tradition from Meyerhold, who was Stanislavski's student. Meyerhold pioneered this idea that the director could take the script of the playwright and make changes. Like he would move scenes around. He did this to Gorky and he, he was great at it. So it moved the scenes around. And then, so it was like the playwright has the play and then the director does this arrangement. It then goes to the actor and the actor makes their creative contribution and then it goes to the audience and Meyerhold said and then the energy that came back to the actors would create this interplay and so the actual thing that's happening when you see a performance is that all the ideas of the playwright and the director have fed into the actor and determined like the staging but this kind of great interaction is going on which was revolutionary for its time because it's a it's the different when you ask me what's the message and I said ah it's actually an experience right it goes back and forth so anyway because I was there for so long I'm deeply drenched <laughs> in 
visual and physical theater. So it's really nice to hear Mindy say she likes that because that Mindy has given me enormous freedom to think about the play and how the play would move. And basically we just sit in this, we sit in the room together and I, you know, build it and then Mindy can let me know what she thinks. And, but I'm also building things visually that are telling the story. If that makes sense to you. So in dream sequences, the actors could act in a completely different way than they act in the real world. <laughs> but we don't explain it to the audience. It's just happening. So that comes from seeing Teatro de Complicité, which are now called <laughs> Simon McBurney. I love them. I just have to interject that yeah. too. There's a ton of really great, innovative Brits but also um, European directors that I really respond to. And also, I mean, they're obviously great Americans. I mean, so I tend to like highbrow and lowbrow. I love music theater. I love, you know, I just did, directed a jazz concert at the Asia Society that was extremely fun because they were telling stories about how they came to jazz. And, you know, Andrew, do you know how exciting it is when somebody says, there's a woman. <laughs> her name is Sumi Tanuka. She's a pianist. And when she was a little girl, her mom would play her jazz. And she said, um, I found Thelonious Monk so funny. I found him <laughs> so funny. And so for her 13th birthday, her mom took her to see Thelonious Monk. Mm. And she saw him play around midnight. And she left the club. It's this is in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, the Aqua Lounge. And she said, I want to be a jazz musician. And she is. <laughs> I love that, that. Right? It's the story of the piano calling to her, not just the piano, but his blues, his heartbreak, his off kilter, his whatever. And here she is. And that kind of stuff, that is what I mean about everything can tell stories. And in Mindy's piece, there are, there's an object, there's a lost suitcase that, that triggers many stories. And, the, you know, but a lot of this is unspoken. So we have to just hope we frame it in a way because we're basically asking the audience, you know, in montage, you show a picture of a bowl of a soup and you show a man and then you show a picture of a child sleeping and you show a man and then you show a picture of a woman on a lounge chair and you show a man. And the audience will say in the first one, he's hungry, the same face. And the second one, oh, if it's a dead child, he's sad. And the third one, he feels lust for the woman. This was the Kuleshov effect that was, of course, discovered in Russia. <laughs> so, yeah, and there's a lot of that going on in Mindy's play, where you juxtapose things. And then what the audience feels, you know, we just... We're still, you know, you're, we're about to go into tech, so we haven't even seen all these elements together, but we're very excited about it. Let me put it like that. But this was not the answer to your question. Yes. But that's I mean, that's one reason, one reason I love Christopher Durang, although I know he's slightly older playwright. Stuff that happens in his plays is totally out of the ordinary experience of anyone, but it's never explained. It's just the people just are there and that's their life. And that's really fun to me. Yeah, I'd also like to shout out recently a strange loop on Broadway. <gasps> oh, yes. Piano lesson on Broadway. 
in the piano lesson, there's a scene where men who have, in the script, they've all been in a prison camp and they sing a song, a work song, and they're, they're all choreographed to move together. Thrilling moment, thrilling, you know, thrilling. And Strange Loop to for a writer, performer, director, you know, to put all of that interior right his interior world out and have multiple people playing his father or multiple people playing the mother it's just really exciting so yeah i like like those are things that i saw recently that were you know really exciting ways to expand what's happening on broadway yes i love the passion from both of you and that makes me excited to ask this next question which is what is your favorite part about working in the theater and Jean, I'm going to start with you on that one. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm going to tell you something really funny. <laughs> okay. You can imagine how there's a lot that we're working on that is grim, bleak, terrifying, horrifying, right? In the memories. But there's also moments in the present that are funny. There's a scene with a puzzle that's funny that you know the people have survived and they're doing simple things together and they're playing with each other so last night i had this dream and this may be about a play that i'm going to do in this spring but anyway it was it was a raucous comedy there was a lot of singing and we were in rehearsal and people were running around and they were playing and they were singing and blah 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 and i th i think what i love about the theater is that it makes an imaginary world makes a space and everyone everyone has to choose to be in it and everyone has to choose to be all in all in you have to learn your lines you have to <laughs> you have to understand what your costume changes are you have to do the props you have to do everything and you have to share the story with the audience and the designers have to understand what the playwright wants and the playwright has to understand if the actors are saying you know you know oh this doesn't roll off my tongue could we do it like this and sometimes it's an easy fix and sometimes it's like eh, you know <laughs> we do it we do it and we're all making something together that's what i love that it's together and you can make something that you can't make on your own and you're not nobody is in charge of the whole thing it's we're all in it i love it and i and and i'll just say the um our stage management team is so wonderful and they'll even think of things that we don't think of and and they'll suggest them to us and they're good suggestions so for some reason i think people are only in theater because they love it or at least we try to find people like that we didn't want to work with anybody who didn't love it um, and when they love it, they give more. Mindy, you and I have discovered more about this script, working with the actors, than we ever could have if we like spent three years together, just us. Because yeah. Yeah. especially like if one actor is playing four parts and those two of those parts have major trauma and he has to negotiate how he can, like in a normal, no, not normal, conventional play you play one role and you go through the arc of that character if you have to sustain 
Now he has to sustain three, two arcs actually, because two characters just appear in one scene. But those two arcs are completely different, and he has to sustain that. And in and both there is a lot of he's grappling with a lot. So he's got to track how he can do that. And he talks to us about that. He just says it because he's smart and he knows, I just want you to know I'm, I'm dealing with this. And we can't know that because we're not inside him, right? And we're not inside the play in that way. And what's great about our cast is they let us know. And then if, if in there they're asking for help, we can give it to them. And if they're just telling us because they want us you know, just know this, you know, it's going to take me a while, but I'm get I'm on that road, you know, it's, it's a real, I just say there's healthy communication, which is essential. If you're going to do a play about a point where communication was ruptured, <laughs> you can't afford to have a rupture of communication in the process. And I think everybody's been really committed to saying what they need to say. Um, and and feeling supported so that's i feel i feel very supported by mindy and i feel really supported by my team and by the actors and i hope they feel the same but that's what i love about it i guess i'm saying collaboration that's that's what i was going to say collaboration to me it's amazing whether i'm also an actor whether i'm an actor or a writer to see that as a writer, I write things and then the director like Jean, who's been so wonderful with this, will see things in it that I didn't see. And the actors will bring it to life in a way that I couldn't even have imagined myself. And when I'm an actor, when I find what's in a script and I I, I see something in it that maybe the, 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 the convert, the reverse of that, like the director didn't see or the player I didn't see, and I see the subtext, I see what's going on in between the people. I love the collaboration. The other thing that I love about doing, this, doing theater is, and this may sound a little morbid perhaps, but the chance, like it's interesting you bring up the, the actor in the show because he goes through the most horrific you know, experiences and he talks about them. And what I find really fascinating about doing theater is the chance to experience all these different human emotions in a safe way. Like, I'll tell you a story that I was in the production, this was years ago, I was in a production of Our Country's Good, which is a wonderful play by Timberlake Wharton Baker. And there is a moment where one of the characters has to do the most degrading thing imaginable. I'm starting to, I get choked up again. But I, I did it, and that was one of my favorite parts of the play, because I could go there, but no, I was safe because it wasn't life and I had good actors around me and I had a good director. And then the chance for the audience to experience that also and to know they're safe is a joy in a weird, maybe twisted way, but also the joy of, of being able to experience all things. The other thing I'll say is the joy of, I, I find personally, I, I think I was born to be in theater because I've never lost that kind of childlike wonder, enthusiasm, something about the world and the chance to play. I think we don't play enough. We yeah. don't, as adults, we were, our society, especially now, but maybe it's always been like this. We don't encourage adults to play. We don't encourage children to play anymore as much. And play is where you find joy. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, we have come to my favorite question, and I love asking people this because I've never been disappointed by it, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Is one or the other ready? I ha I can go. I can start. Okay. okay. Um, Maybe. Uh, the first, um, a few things. One, I saw Equus when I was in high school, and that just blew me away. I saw Nicholas Nickleby, the original one, when I was in college. Wow. That blew me away. Um, I'm not necessarily saying why. I'm just, you know, I saw Lily Tomlin do the In Search for Intelligent Life in the Universe. Wow. These are things that are older. More recently, I saw The Cost of Living, which blew me away. Mm -hmm. And I saw Oklahoma right before the pandemic, the new version of Oklahoma. Those are the first, those are just a few things that pop into my head. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing those. Jean, what is your okay. favorite? I mean, I have two things to say. When I read it, your question, I didn't realize that you were asking us about something we saw in the theater. I oh, thought it could be something you did as well. I okay, mean, just... I'm going to, I want to tell you two things, something I saw and something I did. The first thing that came to mind when I did my grad work in directing at what it was used to be called the Yale School of Drama. And now it's the David Geffen School of Drama. Yeah, Yale, New Haven. Yeah. Um, in my class, Paul Giamatti was in my class. My thesis was pure Gint. And of course, Paul was pure Gint. And we just called, I did my Meyerhold adapted version. It was just called Gint. Okay. So towards the end of his life, when he's wandered for such a long time and he's blind, and it's like Solvay is 80 years old and she's still waiting for him in, in Norway, right? It's like, whoa, I love you, I love you. I wanted to do, I wanted her to walk on a tightrope upside down. That's what I, said, I told my lighting designer, I want a tightrope of light and we're going to have her walk upside down on the tightrope of life. It took me years to realize how hard the tech people had to work to pull this uh. off. But they, pull, they pulled it off. They pulled it off. And, you know, there was this white beam that looked like a rope. And, and of course, I'm not going to reveal how they did it. But the actor who was sold by was upside down and was walking upside down. I'm 30 feet in the air and Paul Giamatti was down on the stage floor realizing this is when he's realizing I need to go home so it was using this visual element and an extreme right supernatural vision to wake this narcissist up so he would go home to the woman you know to be with her and um that moment in rehearsal when I first saw it work was such a, you know, oh my God moment because it was absolutely impossible. So the impossible was happening. And of course the impossible happening is like the chef's kiss when you have really great actors doing all the work that, you know, that was all really great. But that is a moment of theater where so many people came together to make that thing happen and of course everybody asked us how did you do it you know people were just like ah and we just were never telling don't tell don't tell don't tell. <laughs> you know the magic has to stay magic and the thing that here's the thing i saw recently because i think 
different theater speaks to us at different points in our life. And I think we always have the capacity to be blown away. We can always have the capacity to be surprised. We always have the capacity to, you know, be awed. And I, I love when theater does that. I just love it. Surprise is really important to me. But this summer at, um, at the Armory, I saw the Oristaya, Robert Icke's mm. Oristaya. And the first act of that Oristaya, he pretty much cobbled together from Euripides, Iphigenia at Aulis, and other elements. So he didn't just use a straight classical text, he decided how he was gonna do it. And he did it modern. And I remember, uh, just really blew me away because this deals with a general who has to sacrifice his own daughter. Agamemnon has to sacrifice Iphigenia to get the winds to blow. And it's one of those acts that if he does it, it will destroy his, it will help them win the war but it will destroy his daughter and his family and his marriage and his soul. And it was so immediate, so immediate that I'm watching it and I'm thinking about the gun laws in our country, that it's more important to us to have guns than that children live. And that children are being sacrificed every day and it, what a horrible crime it is and that we don't stop it. And, you know, because it was so immediate, <laughs> even though they were British, act brilliant, 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 brilliant actors. Iphigenia was played by a little girl, a little innocent girl who loved her daddy and would do anything he wanted of her. And so these, these horrific crimes that we commit against children and my anger, I mean, it wasn't just me. The entire audience was getting so angry about war you know, it's like stop telling us it's good and it, it, they made clear to us that we understood yeah the winds blew and um yeah they won that war but like 40 years later that entire government was defeated i mean historically they were defeated and when you look at what's going on now with you know russia ukraine it's like, have we learned nothing? Well, you know, Mindy's talking about what do we learn from the past? Have we learned nothing from World War II? We could all go up, this whole thing. So um, theater, I guess what I'm saying, theater that can make me experience life. I didn't come out of the play when I was thinking those things. I, I didn't, I was right in the play, but the play was so on the money that I was like, oh yeah, we sacrifice children all the time. Here, 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 you know? That to me is, <laughs> that's really good theater. And I think, you know, Mindy's piece has the ability to make people think not about what happened then, but what's happening now, you know, by, by being really clear in our choices. And, you know, I think that is, a, that's, that's how you change that through telling stories, you have a chance to change hearts, change minds, maybe slowly, but, you know, get people to ask questions, get people to think like Brecht said, you know, use the theater. Feelings come from thoughts in our heads. They're not just, you know, we emote and we should feel sorry for people and cry and go home. We should think about what these characters are struggling with and how does it, what can we do now? So 
Yeah. And I, I want to add something, which is really not quite what you're talking about, Jean, but I saw that production also that you're mentioning. And one moment just made me like gasp when I think it's right after Iphigen after um, Agamemnon sacrifices Iphigenia and they say the winds blow or blew or whatever, the door opened, a door on stage opened and all these small pieces of paper like post-its were blown in and, and spread like strewn across the stage. And it was the most, what I love about theater is when it can take a moment like that and show it in a way that, you know, especially low, not low tech, but different than the movies because you're there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, use yeah. something so simple, which is paper, and it just made me gasp the the beauty of it, of this these pieces of paper just blow, blowing across the stage. Yeah, and I want to say about that moment, that was a great moment, and they set it up by having, one of the ways they convinced Agamemnon to sacrifice his daughter is they put lots of Xeroxes, lots of paper on the table, and each piece of paper represented a dead soldier. And they said, ah. look at all these dead soldiers. Now, all you have to do is just kill your daughter and we'll get the winds and that will end the war. So we already understood the pieces of paper equal dead soldiers. And when he made the decision to kill the, when she was dead, the doors blew open and bah! It was a hurricane of dead soldiers. You win the war, but you're killing yeah. it because everybody's dying. And yeah, it. But I agree with Mindy. So that's where I think we connect in this, trying to find visual moments that visualize, we visualize these stories that, that because theater, theatron is the seeing place. And it's the place where you see things, but it's also see in the sense of understand. So how do we see things? And that's true with your lost suitcase, Mindy. How do we, see things again that we've forgotten that we've seen so that we understand so yeah there's a connection between seeing memory understanding verbalizing or things not being able to rise into words as a way of not being able to take control of your destiny and so there's so many layers to this but we're just trying to go one scene after another, keep it simple and hope that the audience experiences these things we're talking about. Are there any other productions or projects that either of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Well, I don't have anything um, at the moment, except you wouldn't be able to plug this. We are hoping, not with this cast, unfortunately, but we are hoping to go to Poland and do a reading of this play as part of the Jewish Cultural Festival in Krakow in early July. And and then, you know, we're hoping to do it again. I would love a longer production. I'm sure everybody would. Other than that, I don't know. I think I want to work on something fun. I mean, this is fun. I think I want to work on something, I don't know. I have a bunch of short plays that all feature an Elvis bust. <laughs> I might go back to those. Yeah, I don't have, my next thing is out of town. So no, I don't have anything right now. Thank you for asking, Andrew. Yes. Finally, if our, our listeners want to get more information about uh, how to live or about either of you, perhaps they want to contact you, how can they do that? Uh, for how to live, they can go to 14streety.org. I think that's the website. And then there'll be a section for arts and culture and they can go there and it'll the, the ticket link will come up. 
for me, if anybody wants to look me up, um, my website is sadly slightly outdated, but I am getting it updated. Um, it's MindyPearlPfeffer.com. And my website is www.jeanrandich.com. Mindy, Jean, thank you so much for sitting down with me today and sharing this wealth of knowledge and this incredible story. I can't wait to see it. It has been such an honor speaking with you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. My guests today have been Mindy Pfeffer, who is the playwright, and Jean Randich, who's the director of the new show, How to Live, playing January 25th through the 29th at the 14th Street Y. You can get tickets and more information by visiting 14thstreety.org slash tickets. You can also follow both of these amazing ladies uh, by visiting their websites, www.mindypearlpfeffer.com and www.jeanrandage.com. And we're going to have all this information posted on the episode description as well as on our social media. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phone, unwrap your candies, and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Kevin McLeod and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.